From Latrobe to Bloomsburg, York to Punxsutawney, this is Lincoln Radio Journal. On this edition, the State House is in disarray, but new Governor Josh Shapiro and new leadership in the State Senate are settled in and ready to begin the annual state budget process. Nate Benefield from the Commonwealth Foundation is here to discuss. Employment statistics for 2022 are now available, and once again, Pennsylvania lags the nation in job growth. Frank Gamrat and Eric Montardi have an Allegheny Institute report. And Americans for Prosperity has published its legislative scorecard for the 2021-22 session. Ashley Klingensmith is here to spotlight the All-Stars and talk about what lies ahead on this week's Lincoln Radio Journal Commentary. I'm Loman Henry, and welcome to Lincoln Radio Journal. We'll get to Nathan Benefield of the Commonwealth Foundation in just a couple of minutes, but first, news headlines from patownhall.com. All but one Republican, State Representative Tom Mahaffey of Dauphin County, have signed a letter to call the State House of Representatives back into session. A majority of members are required to take that action, and with the GOP having just a one-seat majority, Mahaffey's holdout has stymied the effort. Republicans would like to organize the chamber and get down to work to pass three proposed state constitutional amendments, but are being thwarted by House Speaker Mark Rossi. Rossi is a Democrat who reneged on his pledge to serve as an independent. He is supportive of an amendment to open a temporary window for victims of child sexual abuse to file lawsuits. But Rossi opposes GOP-proposed amendments to require a photo ID to vote and giving the General Assembly the power to override regulations imposed by the executive branch. Rossi's unwillingness to compromise and Mahaffey's holdout make it increasingly unlikely those proposed amendments will go before the voters in the May primary. Governor Josh Shapiro has signed an executive order creating the Office of Transformation and Opportunity within the governor's office and has also established an economic development strategy group. The new governor says the office will be, quote, a one-stop shop to help businesses start up, grow, or move to Pennsylvania, The Commonwealth has a national reputation for excessive regulatory red tape that frustrates efforts at growing the state's economy. Governor Tom Wolf pledged a similar effort. It failed. Students, parents, and school choice advocates rallied at the state capitol this past week in observance of National School Choice Week. Pennsylvania has made some strides in funding alternatives to traditional public schools, but still lags much of the nation in providing educational choices for parents and students. Read about all things Pennsylvania at patownhall.com. The annual state budget process is about to get underway with a new set of players sitting around the negotiating table. After having a historic surplus of funds in the current fiscal year, what lies ahead? Nathan Benefield is Senior Vice President at the Commonwealth Foundation. He is here with an overview. Nathan, welcome back to Lincoln Radio Journal. Nate, before we get into what the budget's going to look like for the coming fiscal year, tell us a little bit about where we are now. There was a significant surplus as the 2022-23 budget was being built. So where do we stand from a fiscal point of view in the Commonwealth? 
initially even talk about the terminology of, of surplus versus deficit, because what's often called a surplus in the state government is simply having money in the checking account. And that's really where Pennsylvania is sitting right now, that there is a lot of money sitting in state bank accounts. And that is largely because with the federal government borrowing and spending so much money from 2020 on to the CARES Act, the American Rescue Plan, uh, they're spent giving a lot of money to states to spend, uh, including picking up some of the additional costs of welfare programs like Medicaid, ongoing costs. Uh, so the state has been a big beneficiary of that and has built up uh, reserves and went into last year with this excess money, uh, a lot of pressure to spend it, spend it all at, at once. Um, but what ended up doing was a significant increase in spending, but also keeping some aside for the future and, and shoring up our state rainy day fund, which for years we've been almost worst in the country in having reserves available. Uh, in fact, at one point we had enough money in our reserves uh, that could fund state government for about three hours. We're now up to about two months, which is a, a decent, still below the national average, but having some reserves available if there is a, another crisis, another recession coming. We've had all of this money, as you pointed out here, Nate, flowing in, not only the subsidy money, but all the COVID relief money that has come in that did balloon the budget. How much longer is that gravy train going to last? Currently, the, one of the biggest ones is uh, federal aid propping up our, our Medicaid program. The federal government has chipped in a lot more. Um, that money runs out the end of uh, March, beginning of April. The state's going to have to pick up the full tab of, of Medicaid costs, uh, which is a significant increase in, in funding but also allows the state more flexibility. One of the provisions was that uh, oh, the CARES Act and some of this money coming in, that the state couldn't remove people from the program, even those who were no longer eligible. So those who had incomes or far greater didn't need to be on the program at all. The state was not allowed to remove them. That will be changing going forward. So there'll be a loss of funding, but also the opportunity to take some of these reforms and, and move people from government programs back into the, the private sector, private insurance um, employer covered and save money, but we have to act act to do so. Going forward, of course, we have yet to hear what the priorities might be of our new governor, Josh Shapiro. Are we expecting, just crystal balling it here for a second, Nate, are we really expecting that we're going to see the type of grand spending proposals that punctuated each of Tom Wolf's budget proposals? Or do you think we might become a little more realistic? That is a, a good question because there's the two sides of the ledger of spending and, and revenues. I think that I don't expect Josh Shapiro to come in and propose massive tax increases. And that's what you saw with Governor Wolf's first budget and even almost every budget uh, in his first six years was a significant tax increase proposal as part of that. Josh Shapiro comes in, one, with a lot of money in, in the bank, as I mentioned, so there's no need to raise taxes, but also someone who campaigned on needing to cut taxes to make Pennsylvania more attractive. So I think uh, we're not going to see that on the tax side of, of the equation. Uh, there's a question on, on the spending side because, as I said, there is money sitting in the bank account. There's about, going to be about $6 billion for the state to spend, uh, but we are actually running a, a deficit. And this is the, the projection of each year we're going to be in the hole by $1.5 to $2 billion. So that $6 billion sitting in the state checking account uh, runs out after, uh, after three years or so. So there's need to be fiscally prudent, even though there's going to be pressure to, hey, you got money in the checking account send out checks. So that would be the big question of what does Josh Shapiro propose in terms of longer-term spending plans. We are talking with Nathan Benefield, who is Senior Vice President at the Commonwealth Foundation, talking about the start of the state budget season here in Pennsylvania. 
And, Nate, Scott Martin, Senator Scott Martin, who has ascended to the role of chairman of the Appropriations Committee in the Senate, he's described the outlook for the coming several years as gray skies. What did he mean by that? Yeah, I'm basically looking to the fact that we are, in fact, running what's called a structural deficit, that we're spending more than bringing in in, in revenues. And in that scenario, and the way we're headed and projections of where the state spending is going, where the state revenue is going, we have about three years before there would need to be tax increases to balance the budget. Uh, and that's kind of a, a gloomy outlook. The optimistic side says, hey, there's three years before we that, that crisis happens. It's the time to, for the legislature, the governor, to work together to fix things, uh, either through controlling the growth of spending and or doing things to make Pennsylvania more competitive to grow our economy uh, faster than what's projected and start attracting new jobs, new residents, fixing that demographic picture where we've been losing population. If we can reverse that, we can also grow the economy and and help bring that budget back into balance. And, of course, making the pie bigger rather than just taking a piece of the existing pie is the way to keep up with all of this growth in government, some of which is unfortunately unavoidable. So looking to make the state's economy more competitive, the Commonwealth Foundation has from time to time proposed some programs, some ideas, some policies to do that. What would you say would be the steps necessary to make our state's economy more competitive? Well, I think, Loman, if you look at what where people are moving, and there's just uh, recently the U.S. Census released their population estimates, and you could see they have in that where people move to what states. Uh, and they were fleeing states like Pennsylvania, New York, California, Illinois, and moving to states like Florida, Texas, and North Carolina. What is the theme is those are lower tax states. They have lower tax burdens, both on businesses and on families. Uh, they have better regulatory climates, better for, to create jobs, better for entrepreneurs. And that's where the opportunity is. And you look at where Pennsylvania ranks, uh, we have a high tax burden, so a high burden on businesses, and, and a very unfriendly regulatory climate with uh, delays in getting permits to, to build things, having so many hoops, so many costs related to regulations. And if we tackle a couple of those things, our, our tax burden and our regulatory climate, uh, we could actually be a much more attractive state and certainly one of the best places to locate in the Northeast with our uh, energy sector, with our quality of our our education system and our higher education system. Uh, We can be a leader in the country if we address those those big factors of of taxation and and regulation. Uh, And really that starts with controlling the growth of spending. If you keep spending in line, we can start reducing taxes on, on working families and businesses. You spend a lot of time analyzing the state budget, Nate. In your view, what are the cost drivers here? What are the areas, where are the areas where we're seeing spending going up at a rate that's just simply going to be unsustainable going forward? Two of the biggest cost drivers, one is on our education and and public schools. Um, That's largely a political decision and really based on a a myth that we're underfunding schools. Uh, When you look at the actual numbers, Pennsylvania's uh, among the highest spending states in the country at more than $20,000 per, per student. And the other big cost driver is really our, our welfare programs and our Medicaid program. Uh, we've enrolled more, more and more people. Uh, it's now about a quarter of the population is enrolled in Medicaid. Uh, and, and really expanding that beyond its true nature of trying to help those who are with disabilities, the elderly, very low-income families with children, to more, more and more people on the welfare rolls. And I think addressing that area, uh, really the biggest cost driver in the state, uh, needs to be a top priority for lawmakers going forward because that really is out of control. And and even the math says if you're growing the costs more than revenues are growing, that's totally unsustainable in the long term. 
from a procedure point of view, as we look at this now at the end of January, what are the steps going forward in the timeline for developing the new state budget? Because we have a new governor, he gets an extra month to prepare a budget. So he comes in in the beginning of March with a budget address, his proposal. The legislature then has time. They usually do a lot of hearings. And then uh, the fiscal year officially ends at the end of June. Usually the month of June is where a lot of the debate discussion over that state budget happens. And uh, typically it's passed, but the late June, the end of the fiscal year, sometimes uh, they go over and actually uh, don't actually pass it until sometime in, in July or even, even later. Um, but that is really the, the time frame of when the fiscal year ends at the end of June, uh, start a new one in, in July. And uh, when, when things are right, they have a budget in place um, at, at that point in time to start in, in July, July 1st with a new budget. Are we likely to see Republicans come into play here with some proposals for cutting spending? Yeah, I think there's been a lot of proposals that are out there in terms of controlling the growth of spending, certainly with uh, the welfare issues and and especially on on the Medicaid front, proposals to impose work requirements and proposals to reevaluate who is eligible for the program. Um, I know there's a lot of uh, people, hundreds of thousands of people, in fact, who are no longer eligible for Medicaid on the rolls. I think those are a couple of big cost-containing issues that will come up. And sort of there's been discussion both from Republicans and, and even from Josh Shapiro about accelerating some of our business tax reforms that would make Pennsylvania more competitive. I think you'll hear some discussion of, of uh, cutting cutting business taxes uh, e- even farther and, and making Pennsylvania, uh, where we have been at the second highest rate in the country, uh, to being one that's more competitive for, uh, for businesses to come in and, and create jobs. We have again been talking with Nate Benefield, the Senior Vice President at the Commonwealth Foundation, about the start of the Pennsylvania state budget process. Nate, tell us a little bit about Commonwealth Foundation. Also, where can folks go to read more on this topic? Commonwealth Foundation, we are a public policy a research and advocacy group focused on free market policies in Pennsylvania, uh, and really a watchdog on what happens in the state capitol. And you can find all of our, our research and writing at, at commonwealthfoundation.org. Nathan Benefield of the Commonwealth Foundation. Nate, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Loman. The Pittsburgh region's 2022 jobs numbers bounced back from the COVID-19 pandemic, although the recovery has not been as robust as other sections of the state and nation. Here with an Allegheny Institute report on the statistics are Frank Gamrat and Eric Montardi. Eric? Hello, and welcome to the Allegheny Institute Report on the Lincoln Institute Radio Journal. I'm Eric Montardi. Joining me today is Frank Gamrat, the Executive Director of the Allegheny Institute. Your most recent policy brief looks at the November 2022 payroll survey by employers for the Pittsburgh metro area. Can you give our listeners an idea of what that most recent survey said about the job picture in the Pittsburgh metro area? The year turns, you always want to know how we did the year before with things like, I Load creating jobs. So when I looked at the Bureau of Labor Statistics most recent report, it covers up through November 2022. And again, I just looked at the Pittsburgh Metropolitan Statistical Area, which for us is seven counties, Allegheny, Armstrong, Beaver, Butler, Westmoreland, Fayette, and Washington counties. The results just aren't good. And it's no surprise, you know, we, we've been following this for years and years and years, and just really isn't much in the way of trying to create a business-friendly environment around here. So getting back to the numbers, 
you know, we looked at November 2022, and you compare it with the previous November, in this case, November 2021, takes out the seasonality because you're comparing November to November. The good news is, is on a year-over-year basis, things looked all right. You know, the total non-farm jobs are up 2.4% over November 2021. You look at total private jobs, and again, you know, that was up 2.5% from the year before. But then you start asking the question, well, how does it compare to the nation? you know, the national recovery. And that's kind of where things sort of fall apart a little bit. The National Employer Payroll Survey showed year-over-year total non-farm jobs would go up by 3.2%. Again, ours was 2.4%. Then the next question is, great, we had some improvement year-over-year, 21 to 22. How are we doing in a longer-range picture? What about the pandemic? That obviously wiped out a lot of jobs, so we went and looked back at 2019, November 2019, which would be pre-pandemic, and there you get a little more of a disappointment because we're still down in total non-farm jobs, uh, three 3.5% over what it was in November 2019. When you look at total private jobs, again, 3.5% lower in total private jobs. So the area still has not recovered from before the pandemic. The job growth recently has been okay, but it still just hasn't gotten us back to that pre-pandemic. Meanwhile, nationally, it has been. It's been over a little bit of a percent November 22 to November 2019. So the nation's moving a little bit, 1.2% total non-farm jobs and 1.7% in, in total private jobs. So there's growth elsewhere, just not here. Frank, you mentioned that the employer survey divides jobs into goods producing and service providing jobs. Can you give our listeners a couple of examples of what falls into those categories and how the Pittsburgh metro area is performing on both? When we say goods producing jobs, they fall into a couple of categories, mining and logging, construction and manufacturing, just, just those three industry sectors. And we talk in service providing jobs, that's sort of the rest of them and the ones that we typically look at are business education, healthcare services, leisure and hospitality, government, finance, information, all that kind of stuff. So those are the types of jobs where they're service providing sectors. Goods producing sectors has always been something that we're interested in because those are the type of jobs uh, that tend to have a, a higher wages and be a little more of a spin-off effect because you know, you're typically talking about a factory where the workers go get paid, then they go to the restaurants and, and the movie theaters and whatnot to spend that money. And, you know, construction, mining, and logging, you know, tend to be goods-added jobs. And so when you look at goods-producing jobs, again, over the year, up a little bit, November 21 to November 22, up 2.5%. Again, you're looking at a longer-term picture. Those jobs from 2019 are down. They're down 4.5%. As a matter of fact, you go back even further to the decade in 2012, we're still only 0.7% less than we were in 2012, 20 years ago. If you go even further, you look at 20 years back to 2002, that was the heart largest number we had had at 176,900 goods producing jobs. In 2022 November, we had 154,400. So in the Pittsburgh area, goods producing jobs has been sliding for at least 20 years, and even goes back further than that, but for this particular brief, we just looked at the last 20 years. So then, again, nationally, what's the comparison? Well, nationally, they're up 3.4% since 2021, since the uh, pandemic up 1.2%, and going back to 10 years, it's up 
15.1% since 2012. So goods producing nationwide has been doing well. We're just not keeping up locally. Now, in service providing jobs, there's a whole bunch of sectors, and we, in this report, just limited to, to two, and that is the health and education and leisure and hospitality. And the reason we did that is in Pittsburgh, we always consider ourselves, well, recently we've considered ourselves uh, an Eds and Meds sector, an Eds and Meds economy. Oh, we got our hospitals, we got universities and, and colleges, and so that's where, where we're now strong. Well, when you look at the numbers, it, it's not so much the case. When you look at that year over year, November 22 versus 21, you're up just over 1% over the year. And then uh, when you look back at uh, 2019, and, and this was sort of a surprise here, it's 8.5% lower. The number of jobs in education and health services is 8.5% lower than it was in 2019. And you look at that to the national economy year over year, up 3.9%. And since the pandemic, November 2019, up 1.8%. So we're not really seeing that growth to the Eds and Meds economy like folks around here like to, to brag that it is. And the biggest problem there is educational services. That sector alone is down 2.8% down over the year, November 2022 versus 2021. And you go back even to the pandemic year of 2020, we're still down. And you go back a decade, it's down 14.5%. So this notion of Eds and Meds just does not bear fruit, especially because the educational sector and, and nationwide, again, that sector is increasing. You take the other half of that, the healthcare and social assistance, it fared a little bit better. It's 2% higher than its year-ago total, November to November, but down 6.4% from 2019. And go back 10 years, uh, the growth was just 2.6%. So we're not seeing uh, large growth rates in the Eds and Meds sector in the Pittsburgh area like folks want to believe. And, and that tends to be a problem because they're the, the sectors that are kind of left standing. They can't really move away and go anywhere. But they've been pairing jobs or growing slowly for the last couple of years. Definitely a tall order for the year ahead and the years ahead, I guess, Frank, but we will see how it goes. For Frank Gamrat, this is Eric Montardi, and this has been the Allegheny Institute Report on the Lincoln Institute Radio Journal. The Americans for Prosperity scorecard for the 2021-22 legislative session has been published. Ashley Klingensmith from Americans for Prosperity Pennsylvania has the results on this Lincoln Radio Journal commentary. We have officially inaugurated both the General Assembly and Governor to oversee the 2023-2024 legislative session, which means the promise of new policy solutions to the most pressing challenges our Commonwealth faces. We have just released our 2021-2022 legislative session scorecard. Today, we'll relay that list of top champions and discuss two key pieces of legislation we are encouraged these champions will lead on this legislative session and into the future. Our scorecard, accessible at pataxpayerscorecard.com, is a resource for all Pennsylvanians providing an understanding of how state senators and representatives vote on key issues related to government spending, economic growth, and protecting individual freedom. 
You can sort chambers by their scores in ascending or descending order for purposes of context amongst their colleagues or within their own caucus. These filters can provide greater context about a member's record contrasted with another member in the same region or party, etc. Lawmakers were graded on how they voted on specific bills and given a final score based on their voting record throughout the two-year session. The final scorecard reflects a total of 10,240 individual votes on 42 bills in the State House and Senate. The resource should be viewed as an aid for citizens to start or continue meaningful conversations about how to improve life across the Commonwealth. In the Senate, we had a total of 11 senators who scored above 100%, including the following in order from highest at 110% down to 102%. Camera Bartolotta, Kristen Phillips-Hill, John DeSanto, Lisa Baker, Jean Yaw, Scott Hutchinson, Elder Vogel, Judy Ward, Kim Ward, Scott Martin, and Joe Pittman. In the House, our top 13 included one member scoring 100%, Representative David Rowe, and we had 12 additional members who scored a 93% or above, Seth Grove, Don Kiefer, Eric Nelson, Mike Jones, Ryan McKenzie, Russ Diamond, Jason Ortitai, Craig Statz, Kate Klunk, Tim O'Neill, Lou Schmidt, and Ryan Warner. The above said members are back to serve this session, which should give Pennsylvanians great hope. On the House side, our highest scoring representative, David Rowe, has introduced a co-sponsorship memo for the Responsible Budgeting Act. If the most basic governing duty of the General Assembly is to enact a responsible budget each year while avoiding structural deficits and a buildup of debt, we know basic expectations simply are not being met in Harrisburg. The Responsible Budgeting Act would provide for policy stability in a dynamic economy, promoting economic growth and diminishing stress for both the public and legislature alike. Tax and expenditure limits promote stability for core government functions while encouraging thoughtful stewardship of taxpayer dollars, bringing long-term fiscal responsibility and predictability to PA. Our ideal state when it comes to economic opportunity legislation is one where people are positioned to earn their success. On the Senate side, our highest scoring senator, Camera Bartolotta, has reintroduced comprehensive probation reform alongside policy champion Lisa Baker, the Senate Judiciary Chairwoman. This legislation is designed to implement greater fairness in the process, eliminate excessive incarceration, giving those in the criminal justice system a more reliable second chance, and taxpayers a break from the ever-rising state correctional costs. This legislation is smart on crime, soft on taxpayers, and makes our communities safer while improving lives. 
There are a number of bills just like these that top scoring members have introduced that are just as transformative. We remain excited about the potential this legislative session promises. To stay up to date, visit americansforprosperity.org. I'm Ashley Klingen-Smith, State Director with Americans for Prosperity Pennsylvania. You can connect with us on Facebook by searching at P-A-A-F-P, and you can follow us on Twitter by searching at AFP Pennsylvania. If you miss hearing Lincoln Radio Journal on your favorite radio station, audio of our complete program is available on our websites, lincolnradiojournal.com and lincolninstitute.org. For 28 years, Lincoln Radio Journal has been heard on public affairs-minded radio stations throughout the Commonwealth, including WVMM-FM in Grantham, along with WEXC-FM and WGRP-AM in Greenville, Pennsylvania. The Lincoln Radio Journal is produced weekly by the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. The Lincoln Institute is completely funded through the generosity of individuals, corporations, and philanthropic foundations. They include the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association, the Allegheny Foundation of Pittsburgh, and the Houston Foundation of Coatesville, all of whom have helped to underwrite the costs of this program. Lincoln Radio Journal is a trademark of the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. Comments and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Lincoln Institute or of this radio station. From the Lincoln Broadcast Center in Harrisburg, I'm Loman Henry. Thank you for listening to Pennsylvania's most widely broadcast public affairs radio program, Lincoln Radio Journal, plug into the pulse of Pennsylvania.